Welcome to another episode of Saturday Java with Jason, where we bring on great guests and have awesome conversations. I have my black coffee. <sighs> Let's welcome our guest for today. Hi, I'm here with Katherine Berman. She was in the Navy. She's a behavior therapist. She works with people with autism. And I'm going to turn the time over so she can really give a good introduction of who she is and what she's all about. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here and talk about the things I do for a living and that I love doing. So I have worked with special needs children and their families for about the past three, four years. I usually am going into people's homes and working one-on-one with their kiddos, working one-on-one with parents, caregivers. And I basically work with the kiddos and teach them in whatever ways that they might need. I've done everything from teaching a a adorable little three-year-old girl how to recognize different people out in the community like policemen to emotion regulation it is it varies greatly between each kiddo and i absolutely love it now i know that you work with people with autism do you work with anybody else besides autistic kids like adad i mean adhd or add anything like that usually the the diagnosis is autism there's a lot of overlap but it's it's tends to be that particular diagnosis that would motivate someone to reach out to me or someone else who does behavior science. Okay. And last week we had a, a lady on that worked with autism too. And I do want to touch on more with that because she, she mostly did adults. And now that you work with kids, I do want to touch on that, what the difference is between autism in kids and autism in adults. Would you say that kids are getting more diagnosed with autism nowadays compared to like 30, 40 years ago? Oh, goodness. I can't tell you the the prevalence rate, how frequently a kiddo is diagnosed with autism has just skyrocketed. And there are a number of things that could be contributing to that, but definitely the diagnosis is much more prevalent today than it was 30 years ago, even 10 years ago. Do you believe there's something scientifically with, I'm not sure if you want to get into this, but prescriptions, <laughs> like prescriptions or medications that if somebody was on, either the mother or the father, that could lead to autism? I That is not something that I'm familiar with. I would have to look into the literature about that. But we do know that a large component of autism is genetic. Oh, wow. Okay. That's kind of unusual. I mean, now, what do you see major behavior issues with autism kids? I don't want to say in a bad way, but I mean, it must be different than, I don't want to say a regular person, but, you know, the people that don't have autism. Is there a big behavior between those two? Anyone can engage in challenging behaviors, no matter how their brain is wired. What tends to happen when we have a kiddo with special needs is that whatever behavior we're talking about, maybe it's yelling out loud in class, maybe it's something self-injurious going on, it's significantly impacting the kiddo, either their ability to learn, their ability to just function day-to-day life, 
So that's where I would come in. And what, so screaming out in class could be one. Is there any other ones that stick on top of your mind? I've worked with a lot of kiddos who showed head banging. So they would use their own hand to bang into their head. That's always concerning when I see it. I've also seen property destruction, that kind of thing. It's been very, very vast, the behaviors that I've been exposed to. Now, if someone is screaming out in class, you just can't say, all right, be quiet. How do you handle that? The first thing that someone in my position would do is we would look at what the kiddo might be trying to accomplish through that behavior. We call it looking for the function. Um, maybe every time they scream out in class, an adult comes over and tries to comfort them or reminds them, hey, we need to use our inside voice. That's still adult attention, even if the adult is trying to get them to stop the behavior. Or maybe the the kiddo yells out in class and then a peer moves away from them. So now they have more personal space. It really is such an individual thing, but yeah, we look at what what's happening before and after the behavior that we're interested in. And the head banging, that could really be dangerous because not only are you big in the head, but that could cause migraines. It could cause brain damage. It can cause a lot of things like that. Yes. So can you literally restrain them or how do you get them to stop in that case? Oh, goodness. The topic of restraint itself is a is a whole nother thing. I have never had to use any sort of physical intervention in that manner. I have seen protective equipment used a lot. I worked with several kiddos in the past who would wear protective helmets, like what you might see in, in a martial arts setting. And vandalism, destruction of property... Do they know what they're doing or do they realize that what I'm doing is just relieving tension? That's an excellent question. <laughs> Those of us who do what I do, behavior science, we tend to look more at what we can see. So they wow. might, the, the kiddo might be feeling a certain thing, but we usually look at what is the effect on the environment, what happens before and after. You know, if they damage property in school, could they actually get in trouble for that? Because that is criminal, I guess you could say. There definitely could be reper uh, repercussions. I have not had much experience with the legal system in that manner. But yes, there there are repercussions for something that could fall under that realm. Now, you, you went and you initiating behavior intervention. Can you explain what that is and how you started that? Sure. So behavior intervention could mean a number of different things. Generally speaking, it's something that is used to decrease a challenging behavior or increase a behavior that we want to see more of. So this might be using a visual schedule to help a kiddo see what's going to happen next in their day. That's something that would happen before of certain behavior that we're looking to reduce. The behavior intervention could even be a supportive uh, pillow or a wedge at the lower back 
to help with sitting up in a chair. Now, I I talked to another lady last week who said that a lot of kids and adults need structure. They cannot just be thrown into a situation. Every day mainly has to be the same. Every every trip to school has to be the same route. Every trip on the way home has to be the same route because they're so used to structure. I've definitely seen that. <laughs> In school, in clinics, at home, I I see it very often in this line of work. And what what do you think in your line of work? What do you guys think the cause of that is? I mean, it's just 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 the way their their brain is functioned, or is that just the way they like it? You ask a lot of very good questions, <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> if we look outside of just what we can see. And we start to wonder what an, an individual might be feeling. I would imagine it reduces a lot of the uncertainty to know what is going to happen every day. And to know that, hey, at this time I do this activity, which takes this long, and then it's followed by another activity. I, I would have to reach out to some self-advocates to confirm that and really get their opinion. But that's what I imagine would be taking place. So it's more nature instead of nurturing in that case. It could be both. Again, I, I'd really appreciate someone who is actually on the spectrum and who is a self-advocate to weigh in. And what do you think the success strategies that are there that you have helped out with? Oh, my goodness. Success strategies could be just developing independent living skills <laughs> i have a very fond memory of working with a client in a private school setting and finally him reaching independence and just being able to wash his hands in the bathroom it's remarkable <laughs> now some people can be independent and other ones need help doing everyday life yes the people that are independent, though, they still have to. I know a couple of people out there who are on the spectrum who have to wash their hands for 30 seconds. They actually count. If they do it for 28 seconds, it's an incomplete job. You cannot hurry them. That doesn't surprise me. So you work with both independent and ones that always needed help as like a caregiver. Yes, I, I've seen a, a large amount of independence, and I have seen clients who really need that one-on-one -on -one support throughout the day. Do clients seem to lean to a helper more than another, where that 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 client feels like he's closer to another helper, where he might open up more? Oh, staff pre staff preference is definitely real <laughs> most definitely <laughs> so what do you do in that case if you need a day off and you can't be at work and that client needs you do you come in or do you just how does that work out there are a number of things we tend to do to try to prevent the sort of scenario you're talking about sharing information is huge sharing what works and really just investigating why one staff member in particular might have a lot of success with that client, what they're doing, what they're not doing. What do you do in the case of meds 
happens if they don't want to take their meds with one nurse and they want another nurse? Would that nurse come in and help to get the meds? I've not been very involved in medication in that way. So unfortunately, I can't speak to that situation. Okay. And then you also work with elderly, which... For a time, yes. So you went and actually drove them around and took care of them outside of the home like that? Yes, this was in a a group residential setting. That's one of the first jobs I ever had outside of college. So you must have got close to a few of them, huh? Oh, they were great. (laughs) Definitely. We got, we did a lot of joking around. (laughs) It's amazing because my, you know, my grandmother and grandfather were both on hospice. And it's amazing what those elderly care can do. They're there for everything. And they put the elderly, whoever it is, they put them on a pedestal. <laughs> yes. Yes. So I did that. My colleagues did that. Yes. <laughs> and then also before college or after you were in the Navy. I was. So what, what ship were you on? Can you give a holler out? <laughs> I'd love to holler to a shore command. That's not great lakes. I never made it out of there. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Yeah, I got injured, unfortunately. Oh, no, that's not good. No, it's not. I twisted up my ankle pretty badly. I was on crutches for a few weeks, and I still do physical therapy. And that was just yesterday, right? Sometimes it seems like it. This is a high caffeine moment where you get to know our guests. What was your first job? That was a while ago. First job I ever had was in hospitality. I was a room associate one summer in high school. What is your favorite season? Fall. What is your favorite food? My mom's homemade chili. Who is your hero? My dad. Your favorite dessert? Cheesecake. What time do you wake up? 6 a.m. or earlier. What movie do you quote the most? Citizen Kane. Are you a night in or are you a night out? Night in. Can't beat a good book. Are you a thinker or are you a doer? Thinker. Sometimes too much. <laughs> do you learn by watching or do you learn by doing? Watching. When you go swimming, do you tiptoe in or do you dive in? Tiptoe. <laughs> What's your guilty pleasure? Oh, boy. <laughs> I will fess up to the late night snacking. <laughs> what motivates you? Being able to take what I've studied and all the resources I know and bring them to people who need them. What is your deepest fear? People whose brains work differently will continue to be not understood or misunderstood. How do you want to be remembered? As someone who did a lot of good for others. How do you, on your grave soul, what's something you would want written for people that don't know you to guess how you were? Oh, goodness, like an epithet? Oh, my. (laughs) There's so many good words of wisdom out there. Oh, something said by Temple Grandin. I'd have to narrow it down. What do you care the most about? It sounds cheesy, but really that other people are happy. Now, you said you like to read. Yes. What genre do you like to read the most of? Nonfiction. I'm a nerd. (laughs) I've read a few myself, so. There's a very full bookcase right next to me. Out of the frame. (laughs) Now, you're saying your mom's chili. Yes. What's so special about your mother's chili? 
why do you like your mother's chili and not like a Hormel chili? Oh, it's not the same. <laughs> well, one, it's my mom making it. And second, I grew up in Wisconsin, so the winters get very, very cold. Mom would usually make the chili only in the winter for us to be warm and would usually make it to send with me and my dad when we would go up north camping and hiking. Now, you're saying the mines are different from everybody else's, not to be misunderstood. What yes. do you mean by that? Can I you mean, break that down? I mean that in my lifetime, I hope to see the day when someone with a non-neurotypical brain is accepted exactly who as they are without any hesitation by neuronormative society. Right. And there's a few good movies out there. One of my favorite movies about this actually is Rayman. Classic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. And people that don't know, he's actually, it was written, well, I should say it was portrayed to be about Kim Peek, who is a savant. Yes. Mm -hmm. And he can he can actually read and retain 98% of what he reads. It's a fascinating movie. Have you seen the biopic about Temple Grandin with Claire Danes? No. Oh, you need to see it. I've seen it like four times. It's incredible. So would you say their minds are misunderstood? Definitely. Definitely. And I feel like at some point in everybody's life, they feel like their mind is misunderstood, but this experience seems to be far more frequent for those who are not neurotypical. Do you think it's misunderstood by society or by doctors or both? Yes, both. Why do you think society mainly? Society is very neuronormative and by that i mean that it's set up in a way that really favors minds that are quote-unquote typical think of common interview questions like tell me about yourself that's very vague it's very vague there's a lot of room for interpretation in gray area well this has been a very informative podcast and I'm going to give you time right now to ramble on whatever you want to speak about. This time is yours, Kathleen. Oh, wow. <laughs> Wonderful. If anybody's listening and wants to know more about some of the terms that I said, I tried to define neuronormative and things like that, but I really recommend going online on the social media networks. There are Many individuals out there who self-identify as advocates in neurodiversity, meaning just the natural variety of how a mind might be wired, they share all the time about their experiences, if they're comfortable. Listen to what they have to say. They're the ones who will be impacted by policies. There's a phrase that is prominent in the 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 legislative realm, nothing about us without us. I, I really try to take what others say about their experience 
and work it into the type of therapy that I do. So that that would be a big one. And if anyone would like to get connected with me, I am all over LinkedIn. I'm the only one on there with my name and my picture is me and my dress whites graduating boot camp. So feel free to connect. I post all the time. I love this work. And I would welcome any ideas, any brainstorming for how we might become a more accepting society. And one of the things you said is very important is one simple word, listen. Yes. If somebody has a problem and they need to sit down and talk to somebody, listen to them. It doesn't matter if you think it's strange or that you haven't had that experience. The experience is real to them. And don't judge. Oh, absolutely. Don't don't judge. Don't stare. Don't judge. Don't make them feel uncomfortable. They're, they're a lot like us, and their mind just works differently than us. At the end of the day, we're all humans. Some of us just have brains that work in different ways. That's okay. Let's learn about each other. So, Catherine, how, if somebody wants to talk to you, how do they reach you? You're on LinkedIn. Are you on, on Facebook or Instagram? I am on Facebook, yes. I've, I'm terrible at just lurking on Instagram, so I'm working on getting more of a presence there. But your best bet is LinkedIn and after that, Facebook. And again, how do they reach you on LinkedIn? You can feel free to send me a connection request, a direct message. My profile picture shows me in my naval uniform. And Facebook. Facebook. I am the one with a picture of a dog in the snow for my banner. <laughs> That's my little dog, Sparky. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much. And this has been very uh, informational packed. And I want to thank you so much. And thank you for your time. Thank you so much. I love talking about what I do. <laughs> it was actually very enjoyable. Good. Please give us a five-star review. It does help out the podcast. Please visit the website, SaturdayJavaWithJason.com. If you want to contact us, it's SaturdayJavaWithJason at gmail.com. Please subscribe and follow us. We are on all the major podcast sites. Until next time. Have love, have fun, and have I octane coffee. Thanks for listening. Please come back next time for more fun and exciting guests.